Welcome to the Thinking Practitioner Podcast, a podcast where we dig into the fascinating issues, conditions, and quandaries in the massage and manual therapy world today. I'm Whitney Lowe. And I'm Tel Luca. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Thinking, Thinking Practitioner. Practitioner. Welcome to the Thinking Practitioner, where our podcast is supported by ABMP, the Associated Bodywork and Massage Professionals. ABMP membership gives professional practitioners like you a package including individual liability insurance, free continuing education, and quick reference apps, online scheduling, and payments with PocketSuite, and much more. ABMP's CE courses, podcasts, and the Massage and Bodywork magazine always feature expert voices and new perspectives in the profession, including those from Till and myself, Whitney. So thinking practitioner listeners can save on joining ABMP at ABMP dot com forward slash thinking. The show is also sponsored this week by the Academy of Clinical Massage, where our mission is to help you become a better practitioner working with pain and injury conditions. You know it's challenging to find high quality training in your location when you need it. And uh, our purpose and our mission is to bring exceptional orthopedic massage training to the comfort of your home through our innovative online programs so you can learn anytime, anywhere, and immediately help more of your clients. You can learn more about those programs at academyofclinicalmassage.com forward slash specials. Till is still off on his teaching trip to Asia. So today I have the great fortune to be joined by Shannon Gosen for an, what I'm going to call an electrifying discussion here. You'll see more about that in a moment here. So Shannon, welcome to The Thinking Practitioner. And you can take a few minutes, if you will, to tell our listeners a bit about your background, what you do and what you're up to. Thank you. And thank you so much for inviting me to come on your podcast. It's just um, such a great service that you offer to manual therapists, massage therapists, people that are doing any structural work. So it's it's terrific to be here. I'm yeah. honored. And um, when was I was trying to remember when was the last time you and I saw each other? Because we've known each other for a while, but I'm thinking it's had to have been at least a decade or so since, since it, I saw it you. was. And I feel like I might have seen you at one of the fascia congresses or one of the big uh -huh. national meetings. Yeah, I think it was FSMTA, possibly down in Florida yep. in your neck of the woods. Yes. And yeah. I was there with Judy Delaney. Yeah, that yeah. was, gosh, so so many different meetings and so long ago. Yeah. So yes, indeed. this is right. a delight. Thank you. Yeah. Great. Uh, so anyway, sorry to interrupt you with that. Tell That's us about, okay. yeah, tell us about uh, what you're up to, who you are and a little on your background here. Um, so I am a massage therapist and mm -hmm. also an acupuncture physician. Mm -hmm. And I have been in private practice since 1996. And most of my work right now revolves around traveling and teaching and um, doing private work within other clinics and doing work for the military. But mm -hmm. I had this most unusual entry into this world, and it was from the medical side. I had the great fortune of um, meeting Dr. Janet Travell when she was still alive. So oh, she wow. was my first uh -huh. influencer. Yeah. And I actually knew Janet Travell and was trying to get an interdisciplinary pain clinic put together in Jacksonville, Florida in the 1990s. Mm -hmm. And so I actually knew her before I even went to school. Oh, but wow. Once huh. I met yeah. Janet. It's mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, I totally know what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah. So it was... It was profound um, that, and it was it was profound in that in the 1990s, no one really knew what myofascial pain and dysfunction was, mm -hmm. and so I was just right at the beginning of it. I I referred to it as I was got to be part of the myofascial mafia. Uh -huh. There was yeah. 
felt like about 50 of us. So that's how I came into this world of uh, manual therapy and medicine. Mm -hmm. And I really wasn't in practice for even a year. And I knew that if I was going to be effective, I had to be able to treat perpetuating factors because that's Mm -hmm. what Janet, Dr. Travell had, had taught me and was like, don't even bother to treat the muscles unless you're going to do perpetuating factors. And I live in, in Florida mm-hmm. and in Florida, uh, being an acupuncture physician is primary care for the most mm-hmm. part from a Chinese medicine standpoint. So yeah. I can order imaging, I can do lab tests, I can do um, lifestyle, I can do functional medicine, I can do nutrition, um, any aspect of what I needed to do to really holistically treat someone from a functional medicine perspective in Florida, Mm. I'm primary care where I can do all of that. Yeah. So it just allowed my career to blossom. And while I was in acupuncture school, that's when I got introduced to frequency specific microcurrent because Mm. I was working with two um, integrative functional medicine physicians, and they both were acupuncturists and had gone through classical acupuncture training. And in that, while I was in that clinic, um, that's when I got introduced to frequency specific microcurrent from Dr. Shirley Hartman, who had gone out to train with Carolyn McMakin. And then I'm like, oh, well, this just fits right in because Dr. Travell totally believed in microcurrent. And so I invited Carolyn McMakin uh, along with Shirley, and we put together a training in Jacksonville, Florida. And I started my vertical vertical learning curve on frequency specific microcurrent and energy medicine. And it just fit in perfectly and beautifully mm-hmm. for what I was doing. And there's lots of funny stories that go with that. Yeah, And right. that that's where all of it came together at the same time for me. And I really, really have had this eclectic, unusual training because I was also in the world of orthopedic spine surgery and neurology, functional medicine, internal medicine, clinical psychology, neuropsychology, biofeedback. I was working with the two leaders in surface EMG and neurofeedback. Mm -hmm. I I had no idea then how magical it would be that I had this amazing training. Yeah. And then guess who, you know, ended up in my life in 1999 of all things was Thomas Myers. Mm-hmm. And so Tom Myers actually ended up being a keynote st- speaker for a um NAMTPT convention that I was hosting in Jacksonville because my prior speaker wasn't able to come. He had just published in the Journal of Bodywork and Movement Therapies, The Anatomy Trains Theory. Mm-hmm. So yeah. then now it was just like building out where I had all aspects of it. So that's my eclectic training. Um, Judy Delaney and I are very, very dear friends. And along with Leon Chato, I got to publish in a textbook for her, um, published in books on um myofascial pain and dysfunction, and then written a lot of articles and published cases. And just like all the intriguing stuff around the edges and how it fits yeah. in for what all of us are doing. So that's yeah. it. You know, it, it, it is an absolutely fascinating uh, story. And one of the things that, that struck me about this, and Till and I have talked about this a couple of times of, of the incredible luck that 
many of us have of being immersed in a particular talent vortex at a time. Uh, and it sounds like, you know, you had that opportunity to have some incredibly influential and talented people come around uh, at the right times for you to to help, you know, open some doors and, and send you on some, some various different paths uh, yes. in that direction. Yeah. Well, of course, the first place that I want to start um, uh, and show my ignorance around this whole topic is that, and many of our listeners probably also want to know, what is frequency-specific microcurrent? Can you give me kind of like a, a bare bones, cliff notes kind of version of what this is? And then we'll delve into this in a little bit more detail. Yes. So in a nutshell, number one, it's microcurrent, which means that it's current being delivered to your body in a millionth of an amper. So that's what microcurrent means. Okay. And because it's a millionth of an amper, it's subsensory, so you can't feel it. Mm. Um, okay. Forms of microcurrent and using frequencies have been around for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And with frequency specific microcurrent, it's because it is two channels. So you've got channel one and channel two, and you run different frequencies on those two channels. And the um, the background behind it is the way these frequencies come in is everything vibrates. Everything has a frequency and everything has a specific frequency in this universe that makes it what it is. Mm -hmm. And so there's specific frequencies for conditions or issues and tissues, which we run on channel one. And then there's very specific frequencies for conditions or tissues that run on channel two. And when you combine those two frequencies together, you can treat an issue in a tissue, which mm -hmm. is how I refer to it. So frequency specific microcurrent is a art form treatment modality that when you really understand what is going on with someone and you know the upstream problem the story behind the story behind the story we can actually run all these frequency combinations to neutralize those problems or to enhance something mm -hmm. um, like wound healing. Yeah. So that's microcurrent in a nutshell. It's um, an FDA regulated device. It's under a 510K. Um, I've been doing frequency specific microcurrent for 20 years now. And it's highly, highly effective, especially when we're treating the nervous system. Yeah. And, so, and yeah. So let me, let me backtrack on a couple of things there. So how do you, how, not necessarily you, but how does an individual, how did the researchers, the people look into this figure out or find out what the various frequencies were associated with different tissues? How did that sort of come about? So that's that's the sticking point for a lot of people, Whitney, mm -hmm. and that's because the frequencies were handed down. And I've got books from the 1800s from um, Dr. Miller when they were doing uh, radionics and other types of frequency work. Mm -hmm. And these frequencies ha have been around for a very, very long time, over over 100 years. And they have been tested by practitioners. So this is a in the trenches kind of testing where you've got thousands of practitioners that have used the same frequency combinations and they do the same thing mm -hmm. in any person, depending on what that is. So now there's been a lot of it where it's just empirical data that we have on what always works. And so we have very specific protocols that we use because of that. So we don't know where these frequencies came from by any means or how they were figured out. 
What we do know is that the research that has been done has demonstrated over and over again that specific frequencies have specific effects. And if you use, I'm going to call them dummy frequencies, so they would be frequencies for something else. Mm -hmm. They have no effect. So from a research standpoint, um, people like Vivian Reeve, who was the first one to test the inflammation frequencies, demonstrated in four, month, four minutes that you could reduce inflammation by nearly 70% every single time they did it in the, in the animal trials, um, that happened and it had to be the specific frequencies. And then we had the same thing happen with treating the spinal cord. Um, that, that research was done, um, from just this brilliant, brilliant Terry Phillips, um, researcher immunologist, uh, at NIH, he was willing to do those blood samples on people. Same thing happened with every single person, the inflammatory cytokines reduced by a logarithmic, um, factor of 10 in 90 minutes, which is kind of medically impossible, but it happened in every single patient. And so we've gotten that kind of research. Um, Denise Curtis, who you may know, know, she's a physiotherapist. She's over in Ireland and she'd worked with John Sharkey um, mm -hmm. at the National Training Center. So she was an instructor. She's been using microcurrent for two decades also. She's the one that did the controlled study on delayed onset muscle soreness. And she mm -hmm. was able to demonstrate that very, very specific frequencies just annihilated delayed onset muscle soreness. Huh. So we don't know where they came from, but people have been able to test them and there's, you know, more research going on now. So we know that they work. We just don't know the mechanism. Exactly. Interesting. So uh, would you have the same, uh, would, the, would the frequencies be more region specific or more tissue centric? This may not be an, a good kind of question to ask, but just for example, Let's say you have a, a tendon problem or a tendon disorder and your rotator cuff tendons versus your Achilles tendon. Would the frequencies that you would use be more aimed at a particular frequency for tendons or more like a frequency for shoulder versus foot and ankle region? Right. So it's tissue type. So you you got it exactly right, Whitney. Mm. It would be the frequency for tendon, which is 191, by the mm. way, on channel two. I'll remember uh, that. But then there's also a frequency specifically to the whole shoulder girdle and mm. for um, the leg muscle. And then this is where you will, you will love this part of it, Whitney, just mm. because of what you do from a standpoint of your orthopedic background. And you mm. and I are, you and I are passionate about neurology and- yeah. You know, I am neurology girl with all of it. Yeah. So these frequencies actually teach you to be a much better thoughtful thinking practitioner because you have to think about every single tissue type that might be involved and then why it might be involved. Mm -hmm. And then what was the mechanism of injury? And then what's the other stuff upstream? So Becoming a practitioner um, of frequency-specific microcurrent makes you a really, really savvy, thinking, thoughtful therapist. So, so is that in order to be able to choose the correct frequencies for your treatment? Is that why that is so important to, to really That's identify right. and zero in on this? Okay. Because if you use a frequency that is not the problem, it doesn't work. Huh. It just, it just doesn't work. Nothing, nothing happens until you get on the right frequency. And we've, we've got some clever ways to test them. Yeah. And um, if you, I can tell you this funny story real quickly of um, course. About this from my, my yeah. early years to demonstrate this. So um, I, I, uh, when I had my big clinic, I had a big 
3,000 plus square foot clinic interdisciplinary doctor of oriental medicine, um, herbology, massage therapy, physical therapy, Pilates, all of it. And so I had such a wonderful time working with the, with the physical therapist who did Pilates. And she and I shared um, these two sisters. They were twins. And what was great about the twins is whenever something happened with one of them, I always knew what I was going to need to do with the other one because mm -hmm. they seemed to always have the same things coming up, which was hilarious. So one of the twins was in and she had had this ongoing knee problem. And I'd been running the microcurrent and I'd been running my knee protocol and it just wasn't working. And she said, you know, I know this works for my sister, but this just doesn't work for me. And I'm like, well, actually it does work. I just don't know what's wrong and I'm not using the right frequencies. And so I said, hang on a minute. I go running across the hallway and I said, Eileen, can you like come over here and take a look at this for me for a minute, please? Do you mind? And she's like, yeah, I'll come over. So she goes across into my hall room and I'm like, look at that knee. I want you to tell me every single tissue that you can think of that has to do with that knee. And she's like, well, you've got the skin and the fascia and this periosteum. And then you've got the bone for the kneecap and there's, there's, there's ligaments and then there's muscles. And then you've got fat pads. And I'm like, oh, fat pad. Oh my gosh, there's fat pads. So I go running down the hallway and I reprogram my device on my computer because we can, we can put in all these protocols and I go running back down the hallway and I said, I'm not going to tell you what I did. And I put the device on her and I said, I'll be back in 15 minutes. And so I just leave the room because I don't want to be in there. And then I come back and I said, okay, get up. And, and she gets up and she just was like, I don't have any knee pain. And the knee pain was just gone. It was the fat pads. Mm. And so going forward, then we made sure everybody had the frequencies for fat, for the fat mm. pads in their protocol. So that's how specific it is. And so for her, because she'd been down on her knees and doing things, she actually had inflamed fat, which we know can get inflamed. Yeah. And that was the driver of the pain. Mm. Interesting. So, yeah. And I'm thinking, you know, probably some of your, your viewers, you know, are, are like light bulbs going off because- you know, I think what happens for all of us is all of a sudden when you have a new modality or a tool, we have all these things in school that we were told. It's like, well, you know, don't worry about that because there's nothing you can do about it or that we really don't have anything we can do about this or that or whatever. And now all of a sudden I have this tool and it doesn't matter what is wrong. I can find the frequency for it yeah. and address it. Mm -hmm. And so now there's... I. It's like there's no limits for what I can do in my treatment room with my patients. Yeah. Have you found, tell me what kinds of things you found like that work best or most effectively versus some of those things that seem to be a bit more challenging sometimes in, in getting them to work? And um, huge, huge Cheshire grin on my face because mm -hmm. this is going to shock everybody probably. Mm -hmm. The easiest thing for me to treat is fibromyalgia from a wow. inflammation spinal cord from the neck. Yeah. So my specialty is full body pain mm -hmm. from fibromyalgia. Yeah. And that's because if people have had a neck injury, they end up with inflammation in the spinal cord and the spinal cord inflammation changes the conductivity in those anterior lateral tracts, especially when you've got a disc and an annular tear and phospholipase A2 spilling out and inflaming it. We've got frequencies to calm all of that down. I can take someone from a nine out of 10 pain down to a zero one two in 90 minutes. Huh. So this has got me thinking here too about those kinds of 
you know, especially, you know, fibromyalgia certainly falls into this perspective for many uh, individuals, but, you know, those kinds of chronic pain complaints that nobody can seem to figure out, you know, how do you go about doing that? How do you go about figuring those things out and finding the solution for them? And so my secret sauce, okay, is that, and and this is what I started teaching um, at the annual meetings in 2012, uh, you always treat the nervous system. And guess what? As a massage therapist, I could treat trigger points. And as an acupuncturist, I could dry needle trigger points and I could calm down all this noxious stimulus going in through the afferents into the spinal cord and annoying it and annoying the brain. But I didn't have a way to calm down the nervous system directly. Mm -hmm. We've got frequencies specifically for the spinal cord specifically for the brainstem, specifically for the nerves. Mm -hmm. And I can calm down that inflammation in those structures very, very fast. So another, another funny story along that. So the easy stuff is the nervous system and those frequencies, you can take them to the bank. Um, in my early years of doing this, I was the myofascial pain and dysfunction expert in Jacksonville. And the doctors would always send me these complex myofascial pain cases. And then I would take care of the problem. And then I would send them back and send a note and say, it's not myofascial pain. It was coming from the spinal cord. This person has a neck injury. This person mm -hmm. has X, Y, and Z. So I had two years in the early years of doing this where I didn't see anybody that had myofascial pain, Whitney. They mm -hmm. all had inflammation in their nervous system driving this myofascial pain and dysfunction. Mm. So yeah. for a while, I'm like, oh my gosh, maybe there is not anything such as myofascial pain and dysfunction. Mm. And of course there is because those people all came back eventually after <laughs> I got my vertical learning curve on the spinal cord, right? We all mm. know about that. It's like, oh, it's going to be shoulder week. Everybody's coming yeah. in with shoulder problems this week. I wonder what I'm going to learn. Yeah. So I had two years of, of nervous system. And then that is really what drove my vertical learning curve um, yeah. on addressing the nervous system. Yeah. So nervous system is the sweet spot and treating um, any kind of new injury. So like for all the dancers I took care of and all of the sports people, I could heal a fracture in two weeks, radiographically. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. we knew because they would go back in for injury. So, so getting things to heal at lightning speed, it's like Star Trek, tricorder. How many yeah. of these and how frequent do these treatments need to be in order for having that kind of success with them? So when you're dealing with a new injury, we want to be running microcurrent anywhere from two to six to 10 hours a day after like a surgery or a fracture, severe sprain or any of that. We want the frequencies on there as often as possible. They're very, very specific protocols with very specific waveforms, but it's all press and go because all this, the frequency combinations are done for you and you just hit start and the protocol runs. And th so those are intense when we're dealing with some of these other chronic pain problems. And then the nervous system, it can be anywhere from one to two appointments, literally, you know, up to um, five or six. And then for some people, because they have an orthopedic injury that isn't going away and something really bad has happened and they've had a lot of surgery or, or, or. Uh, then we can get it settled down and then they can do maintenance and people just end up owning their own devices. 
Yeah. So when you talk about these really long treatment protocols, are people wearing something or how are they doing this? They're, I'm assuming um, they're not sitting yes. in, like, so in the, bed the for device, 10 hours or something. Yeah. yeah, I've got the, the device. Can I hold the device up? Oh, yeah. We're, we're on video here. So do that. Yeah. So this is how small the device is. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then there's conductive pads. Mm -hmm. And then you just wrap those in damp paper towels or you use sticky pads. Yeah. And so like after a surgery, we use sticky pads. Mm -hmm. Then for my and patient. For those listeners who are li who are only listening and not seeing this, this was that oh, right. box that you held up was about three inches by six. Would that be accurate? It's the that? size of an it's the, the size of a smartphone. Okay. Yeah. And, and then it's about three quarters of an inch thick. Yeah. Okay. So it fits in the um the fanny packs that are designed for iPhones. Mm-hmm. You know, or phones where you can where you can run wires if you're listening to it. So we actually all hold this up. So I have all of these fanny packs. Yeah. I put the device in, and then people that can just wear these uh -huh. um, around. The, and then you know we have people do that in the clinic because I'll I'll treat people dynamically while they're using the microcurrent. So it's very when when I started the the unit that I had to use was the size of a of a toaster oven. That's, mm -hmm. you know, that you would have on the countertop yeah. and it weighed about eight pounds. Mm -hmm. So it was, and you had to punch in all of the frequencies individually. So you really, really had to want to do it in the, in the early years. And, you know, you could, when you, once you got the result, results, you really wanted to do it. Mm -hmm. It's very, very easy for patients to do that. Yeah. So um, ballpark idea, how much would one of these devices cost for somebody, a uh, patient to be using this? So when patients um, purchase these devices, they're anywhere from, um, for the, the military, it's 1950. And then they go up to $3,000, usually depending on who the practitioner and the doctor is. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm going to just make a quick disclaimer right now, Whitney. Um, I have absolutely nothing to do with any device companies at all. Um, I have I have no financial arrangements with any any device companies, actually any kind of um, industry at all. I have no financial relationships with any kind of industries or any of the devices that I use in my practice. Yeah. Okay. So you're device agnostic in that respect. Right. <laughs> I am. And I, when I teach, what happens is I will bring out all of my different devices because there's mm -hmm. other devices that I use that, that have sweet spots, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. So I'm, this is one of the things I'm curious about too, because, and I'm, I'm assuming you know some things about the, some of the legal parameters here. Are there legal limits to being able to practice this in different states here in the U.S.? and? And I don't know if you know anything so, else about so outside yes, the country as well. Yeah. Yes. Yes, there is. So um, depending on what state you're in, you would have to check your practice act. Um, if you you are an LMT in Florida, um, LMTs are able to do any kind of microcurrent as long as they are, are trained. So they've mm -hmm. taken training and they have a certificate of completion. And in Texas, Louisiana, Kentucky's almost there. Um, I think there's a couple of other states and then there's other places where you can work, work under someone. And then there's other states where it doesn't say specifically that you can't. Mm -hmm. Um, so you can provided that you have training where they say you have to be, you have to practice within your scope of license and training. Yeah. So 
some states where people might not be able to use this at all. Florida, mm-hmm. Florida is a highly dense state um, of practitioners. Yeah. I want to go back to something that you said originally too in your in your initial bio that you've been doing some work with the military. Can you tell me a little bit about what you've been doing and and um, some of the you know things that you've learned and found out from those explorations as well? So in 2018, um, I was invited um, by one uh, by a physician that I had been working with that had been um, getting securing funding to do a demonstration project for the Air Force. Um, and I was invited to be the lead instructor, um, for frequency specific microcurrent, and then also ended up teaching my manual therapy skills. So they, it was just a demonstration for four and a half months. I went on the base and to the hospital, um, about every, um, two to three weeks. And then we would train, train doctors, practitioners, and then I would be in the hospital with the docs or in the family residency, family practice clinics and working side by side with the doctors and demonstrating with patients. Mm -hmm. And so by the end of that, demonstration. Um, The training room was standing room only because what they had decided to do was just bring me the most impossible patients in the hospital that no one had been able to help. And that also was like, it just took the air out of the doctors when they were on the schedule, because Mm -hmm. it's just so it's like when you can't help someone, it really, really takes the air out of this. Yeah. So, and I'm like, okay, I will just see all of those people. And it, I was basically 95% if someone would just say I was a hundred percent on what I did. So the rumor mill got out about that and um, everybody there was actually able to reproduce those results. And I was able to work with the docs on reading their own imaging and MRIs and reminding them to do neurological exams and Mm -hmm. thinking upstream like you and I would Whitney. Yeah. And um, then they just got these amazing results. And so the person who was the program director and the colonel who was the head of all of it said, yeah, we have never, ever had these kinds of results with doing anything in the clinic. And this is transformational. So they then secured over time, I think like now it's over $3 million in funding for research. And there has been ongoing research since 2019. I think our first paper is going to be out sometime this year. And they were able to demonstrate that, yeah, this absolutely changes quality of life and can reduce pain in people. Um, And I mean, to put this in a kind way, you kind of don't even have to know really what you're doing if you just follow the algorithm of how to treat. Mm -hmm. So they have ongoing, ongoing, and they are doing many different types of energy medicine. But every time I interview them, microcurrent and then doing the neuromyofascial work and mover stabilizer, that is their bread and butter in the clinic and what works really, really fast. Yeah. So there, and then- And then from that, Walter Reed has had me coming in and teaching frequency-specific microcurrent for the last three years. It's in Cleveland Clinic. Um, And then the Navy has had me come in and teach and multiple Air Force bases. So there's more and more adopting it. And it's great that it's happening at the physician level Mm -hmm. um, that they are applying this. So there's going to be more and more research that the one for inflammation in the spinal cord that research is going to be um, 
redone, I think this year where they're collecting the cases on it. So mm -hmm. there's going to be a lot of research coming out over the next two years. Yeah. In our previous episode last week, I had a, a wonderful conversation with Walt Fritz. And one of the things that we were talking about was silos and these sort of, you know, walls that are existing between us. And I'm curious to hear, I mean, this is some absolute fascinating stuff that you've been working on, and of course, getting some wonderful results with this process. Have you found any challenges in um, acceptance from physicians or other healthcare professionals outside of, of our field because of, you know, I want to put this in air quotes of being just a massage therapist or just an acupuncture physician. And, you know, has that been a limitation? So there is always going to be um, a percentage of practitioners, and this happens, it doesn't matter, you know, if you're at, you know, the biggest institutes, Stanford, Harvard, doesn't matter where it is, you're always going to have these um, physicians and researchers who have their own bias Mm -hmm. And with that, there is no way to change that, Whitney. Yeah. So there are always going to be these people, they've got their heels dug in, they have a bias, and there's no way around it. Mm -hmm. And so what I started speaking on 10 years ago within my professional organizations and to physicians and practitioners is don't don't use up your valuable energy trying to convince people you can't. Mm -hmm convinced because they've got a cognitive bias. There's no way around it. Yeah. Insulin cortex. There's no way around it. Mm. With that being said, equally, there's all these people that are coming in that have seen these things happen. And the military especially is like, yeah, we are a feet on the ground, get the job done kind of people. And we mm. don't necessarily have to have the mechanism. We just have to have the human study results. Mm -hmm. And once you show us the results, we're good. We'll eventually yeah. get to the research where we can figure it out. All you have to do is show us you can get results. Mm -hmm. So you've got a large, large number of physicians that are in that camp. And then you've got even, especially, I think physical therapists have probably been the most damaged um, with the cognitive bias on this because of evidence-based medicine. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then they are all like, if you can't show me the evidence, then we're not going to talk about it. And you have to be able to do the research in order to get the evidence and then yeah. later on to get the mechanism. And then, mm -hmm. you know, what's always so funny when I tell them the five things they're doing, which the evidence says doesn't work. And then I ask them, why are you doing it? They'll tell mm -hmm. me because the patient expects it. So yeah. there's this somewhat of a double standard um, that can happen. So I don't know if I really answered your question as well. There's plenty of physicians, plenty of physicians um, in every walk that are happy to adopt this and do it once mm -hmm. the, all they need to know is that it works. If it works, they're in. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Um, I want to take a slightly different track now and also go back to something that you mentioned earlier that I had known from talking with you um, many, many years ago that you had done some really specific stuff with trying to teach a bit more about neurological examination to massage therapists. Tell me a little bit more about that. Like what kind of things do you feel it's really important for manual therapists to know about neurological examination. Make sure you have a reflex hammer and learn how to do reflexes. Uh-huh, okay. So, yeah. Uh, my, my neurological exam class, um, 
has an eight hour version, a four hour version, a three hour version, and a two hour version. So depending on, on, you know, what people need to learn, but I always teach neurological exam in any class I present. Doesn't matter what the topic is, Whitney, I include it. And that's because if you do and learn how to do a basic neurosensory exam where you are checking sensation, you are checking reflexes, you are checking muscle strength. And then there's things that we can do, cerebellar um, and you know things that have to do with the brainstem. In a day, anybody that's never done a neurological exam can learn how to do this. And I completely demystify the wiring. I make mm -hmm. it super, super easy to learn all of it. In fact, in every class I've ever taught, after two minutes, after two minutes, after I show people, they can, they all have their dermatomes memorized for the upper and lower. That's excellent. You know, yeah. Two minutes, they can right. do it. Uh -huh. um, and it's through repetition. I just make it easy. I, I, yeah. I, I did it in a very, very organized way and then in context. Mm -hmm. um, so I want ideally every practitioner to be doing that because the, the nervous system will tell you how it is and what's going on. And you can very, very quickly figure out what might be happening with someone. And then you also have objective information where you can actually track what's changing with the nervous system. Mm -hmm. So once you get good at it, you can do that entire neurosensory exam, upper and lower in less than 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. It's not time consuming. And I, you'll, you'll be tickled to know this when I teach at a lot of these bigger meetings, it's not uncommon that there's more physicians in my class than there are therapists. Because what I found out from all of the physicians is they learned it to pass the test. Yeah. And then they don't remember it. Yeah. And then they don't do it. And then as massage therapists, we are counting on the family practice doctor, the integrative medicine doctor, the internal medicine, the whoever doctor, even the pain management doctor to have done that neuro exam and know that there's not something more sinister. Mm -hmm. And um, they just don't remember how to do it and they don't do it. Yeah. So Interesting. Physicians love it when mm -hmm. they get information back that says, I did a neuro sensory exam this is my clinical impression and what I found. Can you please check this for me? Mm -hmm. You know, you're not making a diagnosis. You're just saying, these were my findings. I thought you might like to know and maybe check this, you yeah. know, whatever that, however it needs to be stated. But most physicians have forgotten um, how to do that neuro exam. And most of them have told me that, well, you know, there's not anything we can do about it anyway, Shannon. So, you know, what's the point? You know, and then if we think there's something wrong, we just refer them out. Mm -hmm. um, but you send someone to a neurologist and oftentimes they aren't, I've, I've had many, many patients, I'm going to backtrack. I've had many patients come back to me that have been to the neurologist. And when I do my neuroaccessory exam and I ask, you know, what did the neurologist say when he found X, Y, it's like, oh, well, they didn't do this exam on me. So even at the neurologist, they are not getting a neurosensory exam reliably. So what do you think is the reason for that? I mean, I have some opinions about that because I've seen this over and over again in the world of orthopedics and what I've found to be very incomplete and, and non-comprehensive exams in, in patient intake processes. What, what's your take on, on why that, why that happens? 
I've got a little bit of an inside line because I live on that side of the railroad track also because mm -hmm. I lived in the world of um, neurosurgery, spine surgery, orthopedic surgery, all of it. So what I do know is they're pressed for time because mm -hmm. it is an industry that is controlled by a third party payer by the insurance company who dictates how much time they're allowed to have with a patient. Yeah. The patient doesn't dictate what they need. The insurance company dictates as a payer. So mm -hmm. that creates a constraint in the office. The next thing that happens is they're they're being looked at as you either need surgery or you don't need surgery. This is um, a critical problem or it's not a critical problem. And so there it it's it's gotten where it's more back black or white. You know, do I need to brace you, cast you, or operate on you or immobilize you? Mm -hmm. You know, is it something? Do we have something urgent? And even sometimes they miss that. Um, so they don't bother unless it's taking them down the path to do one of these more intense interventions that they're going to refer out to. And they have very cursory tests that they do. So for instance, uh, neurology, if, um, if you can walk in and you can walk on your heels and toes and clap your hands over your head, you're good to go. Because mm -hmm. they assume that there's, if you can do those things, there's not, there's not anything that could be wrong, but they will miss wow. numbness. Mm -hmm. Uh -huh. Yeah, it's really it's really kind of scary. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've had some really really serious things that massage therapists found that the physicians missed mm -hmm. um, by doing that. Judy Delaney, one of them. Judy Judy diagnosed a family member um, over the phone after she had been through my neurology class and learned about cauda equina, mm -hmm. and um, it was a family member, and she did what I told her to over the phone. You know, if you need to have someone check, that person needed to have urgent surgery, yeah. you know, and Judy was the one that diagnosed it. She didn't diagnose. Judy was the one that sorted it out over the phone yeah. and made all of the right things happen. Mm -hmm. So when I've got all kinds of testimonials from therapists where that have happened and, you know, so we've got money, we've got time, we've got, again, a bias. Okay. On it's either, it's either something serious or not. If it's not serious, I'm not going to waste my time figuring it out, or I'm just going to refer out. I think, I think those are the big buckets of the drivers. Yeah. What do you yeah. think, Whitney? What do you think's going on? I think there's a lot of that. I think what you really hit the nail on the head, in my opinion, it's a, a lot of the time issue is, is just the, the pressures of moving this many people through here in this amount of time. And, and this is, these are the tools that we've got to do this kind of thing with. I mean, I've, I've sat in on, on quite a number of patient intakes in the orthopedic world and I saw doctors never touch their patients and I'm including physical examination, you know, not doing basic range of motion testing or, you know, basic palpation and things like that. It was just, which seems to me to be really rudimentary fundamental yes. skills associated with the evaluation process. And we've just become so driven by a lot of the algorithms of, of like you said, these are the things that these are channel us into this particular decision here. And uh, okay, this is nonspecific back pain. And so it's, you know, that we can then take them or send them out the door to go see somebody else, you know, because, because of that. So. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. It's a lost, it's a lost art. You know, yeah. it, it, it is definitely, and, and, and with that being said, is this not just such a wonderful, wonderful opportunity for all of us, Whitney, and, mm -hmm. and you have your training program to really raise up the profession and, and show these therapists, look, this is all the examination and testing, and this is 
all the different things that we could ask the human body about what's going on. And it will give you the answer. Yeah. You just have to ask the question. And, you know, then I would say it's like, wow. So that's the way medicine is. Okay. We're not going to change it. We could raise ourselves up, which is what you are doing with all of the training. And we can take on the burden of that testing for these physicians and other practitioners who don't have the time because yeah. we do have the time. That's what's so powerful. We have the time to get to know who the person is with the problem and evaluate it. And then you become a incredibly valuable team member um, with these other track practitioners that know that they can rely on you to do the work that they don't have time to do yeah, or don't right. want to do or whatever, mm -hmm. whatever their particular driver is. Mm -hmm. Right. I want to uh, ask some more about also something else that you mentioned earlier. Um, in, and I've seen this in some of the things that you'd written about your mover stabilizer model yeah. and your kind of functional neuromyofascial technique approach. Tell me, can you give me kind of a nutshell explanation of what that's about? So nutshell um, that was my athletes and dancers that um, drove me figuring that out and learning it. And then I had frequency specific microcurrents so I could modulate the nervous system, which is why it's neuromyofascial in my model. And I was profoundly affected um, the first time I met Dr. Gumberto, um, who did strolling under the skin. So mm -hmm. I met him back in like, I don't know, 2005, six or seven. He was at a low back and sacroiliac joint meeting with the sacroiliac joint mafia. <laughs> and uh, Diane Lee was there. She was one of the organizers for it. Bert Mooney maybe um, was there. So um, as soon as I saw his video on the fascia, it's like the light bulb just went off. And then it was reinforced um, later on from him on the three-dimensionality. And so I do very, very different handholds um, with how I treat the tissue. I do not press into bone ever. I'm, I have people face up, but more importantly, it's mover stabilizer because the one thing that was not in the Travel and Simon's books and discussed was stabilization. And so as massage therapists, we think about um, softening up muscles and stretching muscles out. And if we could get rid of the tension, and I'm using kind of the slang word, it's not sure. really what yeah. happens in the body, but I'm using the slang that we have, you know, and then they'll feel better, treat to the trigger point, stretch the muscle, return it to its normal resting length. So I realized that in the absence of stabilization, other muscles in the body have to take over for that. And, and the brain is smarter than all of us. And the patient's brain is way, way smarter than we are. And you don't get a vote. And mm -hmm. if the brain needs something to stabilize something, it's going to use whatever is nearby. And I've seen some very, very crazy patterns. And in the absence of having stabilizers turned on first, you will never get rid of a mover problem. Mm -hmm. So as an example, when I went to body worlds, I finally got it with the uh, lower trapezius. This is how our patients come in, right? So for people that can't see, I've got my mm -hmm. shoulders shrugged up to my ears. My shoulders are earrings. And you will never, ever get rid of that upper trapezius, referral pain pattern, headache, tight shoulders until the lower trapezius turns on. And the lower trapezius is the stabilizer of the shoulder girdle mm -hmm. because it doesn't cross the shoulder. Yeah. So in that mover stabilizer model, I always turn on stabilizers and get them activated first. And oftentimes that takes care of the other muscle problems. It is the perpetuating factor that was never talked about in um, the myofascial pain and dysfunction books. And so, so you, I, 
yeah, how do you turn live? I hear people using this phrase a lot. And I just want to yeah. get clear, like, are we like talking about the same on. thing? Yes. Yeah, really, like, so I'm using slang words, slang yeah. words for the sake of people because it's the the language that we have. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think a lot of our language, and and I correct the language for everybody when I teach. Mm. Um, so there's a new language for it. But the do you know you know who Thomas Hanna was, yeah. right? Somatics. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So he had um, this this great line that that um, he he talked about motor sensory amnesia. Do right. you remember mm-hmm. that? I okay. Do. Yes. Mm-hmm. So here's the translation of it. If you can't if you can't feel it, you can't find it. Mm-hmm. If you can't feel it, you can't find it because the brain is requiring afferent information. Again, we're back to that darn nervous system. Yeah. And if your brain had to take over another muscle, it is only aware of that. And so you have to go in and then just tap on that lower trapezius so that people can find it in their motor sensory cortex. Mm-hmm. And um, and then they've got to be able to start isolating that muscle and feel it again so they can find it. And then they feel what happens in their shoulder girdle. So I do yeah. that with all of theirs. There's five primary stabilizers that that I work on three, um, right away with, with, um, in, in my classes, but this is what happened in the military. Cause, cause they were like, okay, Shannon, you're doing the microcurrent. We see that, but then you do this other thing that we don't understand what you're doing. And it works really fast with the microcurrent. And that was the functional neuromyofascial work. Yeah. And so then I taught all the physicians how to get their stabilizers on and mm-hmm. it just changed everything for what was happening with the patients. Yeah. It sounds like there's some similarities between, you know, what they write about and talk about with cortical smudging of just the 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 patterns in the brain recognizing that sensory information in a really distorted sort of pattern, and that often leads to you know pain being felt in other areas where it shouldn't be or unclear determination of where it's coming from. Like I don't know, my just you know my shoulder hurts. I can't tell where it's coming from. That sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. And this is, see, we're back to that nervous system again. Yeah. So everything, everything goes back to, um, to the nervous system, but yeah. I mean, I've seen trigger points just instantaneously go away once I get stabilizers on. Mm-hmm. And this is, I work, I work with um, several people in the NFL and professional sports also. And then when there's been injuries or concussions or anything, cause we're really good at treating concussions with microcurrent. Um, this is where they know their stabilizer muscles aren't working anymore, or they were never working properly and they get them on and then they aren't just on fire. Yeah. Um, and as, so with the microcurrent with this for the last four years, the last four teams that have won the Super Bowl, and, mm-hmm. and I really don't, I'm not an advocate of, of football for a whole bunch of reasons, but for the last four years, those four teams have been using this technology in the locker room and to treat their injuries. Yeah. So it's something that's that's getting battle tested yeah. in, in, a, in that kind of environment for sure. Yeah. 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 But the, the mover stabilizer, I mean, it's the missing piece for all of us to get our stabilizer muscles on. I am passionate about teaching that because it, and anybody can learn it, including people that don't know anything about the body. Mm-hmm. That's what's been so magical about it is it doesn't care what your training is. Yeah. So, the more training you have and the more you know, the better it is for you. Mm-hmm. But if you know absolutely nothing because these handholds are so different and it's very, very forgiving when you do the techniques, you just have to be in the right zip code, as I call it. You just right. have to be in the right zip code. Uh-huh. And if you know the real estate, you're yep. you're going to win on this. And I teach yeah. people where the real estate is and anybody can learn it. And then- yeah doesn't matter what your profession is. So I, I am, I am teaching all professions 
Um, and then also sports teams. I had mm -hmm. one sports team learn it because they weren't getting good care from physical therapy and the trainers because they were the ugly redheaded stepchildren. Mm -hmm. And they had a 1% chance of winning the championship. I taught all of them how to get each other's stabilizers on and their own stabilizers and take care of each other before they play and after their endurance went up, they ended up winning the championship that year. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Very incredible. So are, are some of these things that we're talking about here with these uh, pattern processes, you speak some in your writings about central pain generator, or excuse me, central pattern generators. Is that similar to what you're talking about here? Or is that something different? Oh my gosh. So here's the, here's the, okay. So here's the mind blower for everybody. Here's, here's the pearl of the day for all of you. All right. I'm ready. So, so far this, this year was the first year that I was finally letting that come out with the training because it's I've been waiting for three years and I, I was pretty certain that this was the underpinning of all of it Whitney mm -hmm. and I I started I taught um, at Walter Reed the acupuncture integrative medicine clinic and three other places all physicians not a single physician had ever heard this word before mm -hmm. and they stumbled even trying to get it out you know it's like now what's that word again mm -hmm. so it's central pattern generators and central pattern generators um, are responsible for smooth rhythmic movement. They also control your breathing. Mm -hmm. They control everything. They allow you to move through the planet um, and your brain can be doing something else and you don't have to think about it. Central pattern generators are why you can drive home and not remember how you got there. Mm -hmm. And so we had done just a tremendous amount of research since the 40s and it had to do you know, with birds, rodents, um, all kinds of critters. We figured it out. Mice with their whiskers. It's a central pattern generator that causes those little whiskers to move. And it's just been this year where the research that I really, really needed to have come out to just say, yeah, this is it. It is the central pattern generator. So we have all these historic injuries. They affect our phylogenetic. Okay. We are phylogenetically programmed to be able to walk, breathe, squat, run, do everything that we do automatically. When you're, when you're one and you start walking, you don't have to go to Pilates to learn how to do it. Mm -hmm. You don't have to go to breathing school. You know, when you're two, yeah. you don't, we don't have to do any of this. It's phylogenetically programmed in all of us. It's just mm -hmm. part of being human. As Sherrington said, you know, the the end of everything, the end stage for everything is movement for the the, the nervous system. Mm -hmm. It's just that is the final act of everything is movement. So when we have injuries, accidents, traumas, bad things happen, and the body has to make some kind of compensation for it or adaptation, which what is what it really is, we adapt. It interferes with your phylogenetically programmed central pattern generators mm -hmm. and. I have figured out how to instantaneously change what is interfering with those central pattern generators and get you to go back to your factory default. Yeah. Very fast. Mm -hmm. This is absolutely fascinating work and, and fascinating uh, ideas to discover. And again, I have to claim being a real 
um, newbie and ignorance, uh, a fair amount of ignorance around this whole topic. So I, I'm really, uh, you know, I really thank you so much for shedding some some fascinating light and, and vision on this for us. And I'm sure for many of our listeners too, will be very curious to, to learn more about that. How can, Shannon, people find out more about you, uh, your work, the things that you're doing? Where's the best place for them to, to connect with you? Um, so thank you, Whitney. Um, so my my training website, I have a um, an online training platform, and then when we have live classes, those are posted there. Um, is courses dot frequencies that mend dot com. So mm-hmm. that is that is the training site, um, and then I can be reached by email also. Um, Shannon at myofascial.net. How wonderful is that, that I got myofascial.net 30 years ago or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, And so those are those two ways. Um, I I think I told you I have a a bit of an allergy to social media Mm -hmm. um, and I'm trying to get, I'm trying to get over that. And um, so I don't, (laughs) except that we're in the, except that we, you know, it is how we connect now. It is. It's it's, it's just accepting that this is how we connect now. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, it's not the best ideas that get out there, right? Mm -hmm. It's the ideas that people know about that get out there. And so if nobody knows what the ideas are, then, you know, there's an impediment for getting them out there. So, yeah. so anyway, I'm, I'm working on that though. So I'm, I'm hard to find on any kind of social media, but I, yeah. I do have my training site. Okay, good. Well, we will make sure that stuff makes it into the show notes so that other people can sort of follow along and look and see what you're doing there. Yeah. So, yeah. And for my massage therapist, um, our next mover stabilizer class is going to be in central Florida. And I think that is the third weekend in July. Mm-hmm. is when we're teaching that and I'll be hosting that class with Judith Delaney and Kathy Cohen from Beyond Trigger Points. Wonderful. All right. That sounds great. Well, again, Shannon, thank you so much for being here with us on The Thinking Practitioner. I know our listeners are going to be really interested to dive into to some of this stuff again. And you know, for me personally, it's just wonderful to ha- have a chance to have this uh, chat with you and, and to connect again after such a long period of time here. So, it is, Whitney. Yeah. Thank yeah. you so much for uh, allowing me to come on your podcast and getting to talk with you finally. And thank you so much for what you have done for the industry and for the field and for all of your effort um, for for hosting this this podcast, you until to just really, really uplift everybody because this this is what we need. And you have provided an amazing service to our manual therapy community. Thank you. All right. Good. Well, thank you again so much. And to remind everyone, the Thinking Practitioner podcast is supported by Handspring Publishing. Their catalog has emerged as one of the leading collections of professional-level books written especially for body workers, movement teachers, and all professionals who use movement and touch with their patients to achieve wellness. Handspring has recently joined with Jessica Kingsley Publishers, their Integrative Health Singing Dragon imprint. So head on over to their website at handspringpublishing.com to check their list of titles. They've got some wonderful titles in that collection. And be sure to use the code TTP at checkout for a discount. So thanks again, Handspring. We would like to say a thank you to all of our listeners who've hung out with us. uh, And also thank you to all the sponsors, as always. You can stop by our sites for uh, video, show notes, transcripts, and any extras. You can find that over on my site at academyofclinicalmassage.com and over on Till's site at advanced-trainings.com. So if you've got any questions or things that you'd like to hear us talk about, 
please uh, feel free to email us at info at thethinkingpractitioner.com. We'd love to hear from you. You can look for us on social media under our names uh, over there at Till Lukoff for him and under me for Whitney Lowe on social as well. If you will, take a moment to rate us on Apple Podcasts as it does help other people find the show. And you can hear us on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you happen to listen. So please do share the word, tell a friend, and come hang out with us again. We'd love to uh, share some more interesting thinking things with you all. Thanks again. <laughs>